Welcome to a form of acknowledgement, homilies, teachings, and reflections with Father Jeremiah Volman, an Orthodox Christian priest, exploring the theanthropic life, the intersection between the created and the uncreated, the human and the divine. Let us love one another, that with one accord we may confess. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is in Thank you, beloved in Christ. It's good to be here together again. I pray that you took our exhortation from last week to heart and searched both your heart and your mind and considered over the course of the week what it is that you might be avoiding Did you write it down in your notebook? Did you make a note of it? And challenge yourself to question whether or not you are avoiding any crosses that God has given you for your health and for your salvation. Continue in this endeavor, especially if you didn't do it. Well, do it this week, but I'm going to give you something else to do as well. But don't evade the crosses in life which are given for our salvation. I just want to remind you of that so that what is said on a given week isn't just left in the past, but hopefully carried forward. Today is a wonderful day in the Holy Orthodox Church. The commemoration of St. Thecla, the proto-martyr, first century saint. We heard about her life during Orthros this morning and the hymns of great Vespers and Orthros. And of course, as you know, we have just a very small fragment of the bone of St. Thecla over in our reliquary, the wooden reliquary. She's in the upper left-hand corner. So I encouraged everyone last night, I encourage you again today, go say hi to St. Thecla at some point today and ask for her prayers. Today's also the commemoration of St. Silouan of Mount Athos. I would like to talk about him But first, it's like the church is like a a smorgasbord sometimes, a smorgasbord of holiness. Like, can I have a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little Saint Sophroni and a little Saint Thecla, a little Saint Siloan? Yes, you may. (laughs) So I want to give you a a little bit of each. On September 22nd, we remember the birthday of St. Sophroni of Essex. St. Sophroni, who was a disciple of St. Siloan. I'll talk more at length about St. Siloan, but I'd like to mention just a little bit about St. Sophroni. There's a little story about him. He reposed in 1993, and many of you are familiar with St. Sophroni. So he was remembered this week. 
And Father Zacharias, his disciple, shares this, the first miracle after his repose, which I want to share with you. Two days after his repose, the following miraculous event witnessed to St. Sophroni's holiness. Elder Zacharias, who's there at the monastery in Essex, England, said, A family with a 13-year-old child with a brain tumor visited the monastery. Father Tikhon from Simonopetra, a monastery in Manathos, came to me and said, These people are very sad and they came and did not find Father Sophroni. Why don't you read some prayers for the child? And I agreed. After Father Tikhon said, You know, why don't you make the child go under the coffin of St. Sophroni to pass underneath the coffin where the saint had been laid. He will be healed. We're wasting our time reading prayers. I told him that I could not do that because the people would say that he's only just died and we're already trying to promote his canonization as a saint. So you do it, he said. You're an Athenite monk. Nobody can say anything. So he took the child by the hand and made him pass under the coffin. The next day they operated on the child and found nothing. They closed his skull and said, wrong diagnosis. It was probably an inflammation. It happened that the child was accompanied by a doctor from Greece who had the x-ray plate showing the tumor and who told them, we know very well what this wrong diagnosis means. This next week, the whole family of that child, who were from Thessalonica, came to the monastery to give thanks at the tomb of Father Sophroni. We now call him Saint Sophroni. God is wondrous in his saints. And again today we speak of, I'd like to speak of Saint Silouan. Today is the feast of Saint Silouan of Mount Athos, who reposed in 1938. He was the elder of this Saint Sophroni that I just spoke about. And he was a Russian peasant. He grew up with the name of Simeon, became known as Silouan when he became a monk. He was a pleasant young man who grew large in stature. If you've seen pictures, we have pictures of the contemporaries. And Saint Silouan make, would make me look small, especially when he had his hat on that was probably about nine inches tall. He'd make me look really small. He was known for being jovial, lively. He could hold his alcohol very well, so he knew how to have fun, as you might say. And in addition, he was an excellent concertina player. Yes, and many of the young women were smitten by his concertina playing skills. So young men, if you're looking for just the right woman, you may want to find a concertina. But some of the other guys were jealous of him, Simeon. And at one gathering, one of them was prodding him, provoking him. And he didn't want to tolerate it any longer. And so he laid into the man and punched him really hard in the middle of the chest. Laid the man out, flat on the ground. He started kind of like foaming at the mouth, and he, he thought that he had killed the man that he punched, and it scared him. It turns out that the man was injured, but he did not die. 
But Simeon came to the realization of, the fearful realization of what man is capable of. Capable of harming other people. Even possibly bringing another person to the point of death. And he realized that the calling, the true calling of a man is to bring life, not death. So he decided to dedicate his life to the pursuit of Christ. So he traveled to Mount Athos and became a monk in the Russian monastery of St. Pantaleon. And he lived very simply and humbly and quietly. He probably would have been forgotten if his disciple had not left Mount Athos, moved to France to write and publish a book about him, St. Sophroni, describing his life and teaching. St. Siloan is one of the there's a book called St. Siloan of Mount Athos, and it's probably one of the greatest spiritual books of our time. And so it was through the writings and St. Sophroni's efforts that St. Siloan became recognized as a saint. He's remembered more for his holiness than his concertina playing skills. Following a vision of Christ after he went into the monastery, He was speaking to an elder. He had a a vision of the person of Jesus Christ during prayer. And he shared this vision with an elder. And the elder said to him, Wow, if you're like this at such a young age, I can only imagine what you'll be like when you're an old man. The little sliver of pride went underneath his skin and festered. And what was this kind of natural inclination of prayer became a struggle to pray. A man who had been gifted with the experience, the direct vision of Christ himself became in his mind like a foreigner to God. He did not know what to do with himself. He struggled for 15 years, 15 years, striving to renew his relationship with Christ through repentance. During this time, he lived in a hermitage and devoted himself to prayer. But then he was eventually called back to serve as a steward to the monastery, and he supervised some 200 men. But he increased his prayers, withdrawing to his cell to pray with tears for every individual worker under his care. During these 15 years of struggle, he was almost in despair. Despair means coming to the thought, giving into the temptation that maybe I'm so bad, I'm so lost that God couldn't even save me. That's why the fathers of the church consider despair among the greatest of temptations and sins. To think that my sin could be more powerful than the grace and mercy of God. During this struggle, Christ spoke to him in a vision saying, The proud always suffer. The proud always suffer from demons. And Siloan answered, Lord, teach me what I must do that my soul may become humble. And to this he received the reply of the famous teaching. Of St. Siloan, keep thy mind in hell and despair not. Meaning, 
realize, realize that man is capable of separation from God. Be aware, be tempered by the, that realization, but not brought to the point of despair. If you read the life of St. Siloan, you'll see that he's quite a minister to those who struggle with depression and are tempted with existential dread and despair and hopelessness. His message is that for those who tend to catastrophize and go into the depths of the darkness in their mind, to think, what is the worst that could happen to me? The worst, the very worst thing that could happen to me would be my separation from God. So while standing in the realization of this potential, have a greater hope in God's ability to save. And therefore you'll be made humble and receptive to God's love and forgiveness. Siloan made in his life this discipline every moment, and he was granted the grace of pure prayer. He said that if he ever let his mind wander from the fire of hell, disruptive thoughts would again plague him. In his humiliation, he was filled with a pervasive love for all. He said many times that the final criterion of the true Christian faith is unfeigned love for enemies. Unfeigned love for enemies. And that to pray for others is to shed blood. St. Siloan demonstrates that the church's true theologians are those who manifest in their own lives the fruits of the church's hesychastic spirituality, the spirituality that's born from a quiet life of prayer before God and then action. The true theologians are those who enter into communion with God, however insignificant they may appear in the eyes of the world. St. Silouan understood that the most profound expression of freedom comes in the choice and the ability to love. And the height of Christian freedom comes in the ability to even love one's enemies. I'd like to share some words of St. Sophroni, speaking of St. Siloan. He says, St. Siloan was profoundly aware that evil can only be overcome by good. The use of force only leads to the substitution of one form of violence for another. We often talk, talked about this, he says. And once he said, the gospel plainly states that when the Samaritans would not receive Christ, the disciples, James and John, wanted to bring down fire from heaven to consume them. But the Lord forbade them, and he said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. The Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And this ought to be our thought, too, that all should be saved. If we look back over the history of Christianity, we're struck by the achievements of Christian culture. You could be amazed, wowed by it. Huge libraries full of noble products of the human spirit. Universities and schools where hundreds of thousands of young people approach the shores of this great ocean with bated breath and hearts pulsing with happiness, eager to drink of the living waters of wisdom. Magnificent churches, wondrous creations of human genius, countless works of art, music, painting, sculpture, poetry, and much, much more. And yet the saint would seem to disregard it all and take his stand on one thing alone, the humility of Christ and love for enemies. This humility of Christ and love for enemies are the sum of all things. 
And without them, all the laws, all the prophets, all the cultures are worth nothing. He continues, I believe that the saints' teaching merits the utmost attention, not superficially, but with one's whole being. I've never met anyone who could prove with such conviction, or knowledge even, that compassionate love for enemies is the only reliable criterion of truth. And this, not only in the soteriological sense that concerns the moral order of life and man's salvation, but also on the doctrinal plane, insofar as it relates to the conceptions of the divine life. The teaching of the church's belief constitutes an organic and dissoluble integral unity from which separate parts may not be arbitrarily detached. You can't separate the belief, the theology, the morality, and the spirituality from one another. Error of any sort whatsoever will inevitably be reflected in the mode of our spiritual existence. Certain deviations in our thinking concerning God may not disastrously affect the work of our salvation, but our errors and distortions which can hinder salvation. So Christ's commandment, love your enemies, being a projection of this world, of the perfect love of the triune God, this is the final synthesis of our theology. It's the culmination and the application of all that we believe. Love your enemies. For all the fancy talk that we could say, he's saying that it all comes down to this point, the teaching of Christ to love your enemies. This teaching is the power from on high. It is the life more abundant which Christ gave to us. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit of which St. John the Baptist spoke. This exhortation, love your enemies, it is the fire which the Lord came to bestow on earth. It is the uncreated light shone on the disciples on Mount Tabor. It is the tongues of fire in which the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles in the upper room. It is the kingdom of God within us, come with power. It is the fullness of humanity and the perfection of the likeness of God. However wise and learned a man may be, however honorable his conduct, if he does not love every one of his fellow human beings, he has not attained God. And conversely, however simple and ignorant a man is, if he carries this love in his heart, he dwells in God and God in him. To love enemies, to pray for them with compassion, is impossible without being in the true God, declared the saint. Whoever bears such love is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, he knows the Father and the Son. He is the brother and the friend of Christ. He is a son of God and one with God by grace. Love your enemies. That's what we need to remember this week. This is what St. Siloan said is the criterion for the Christian life. Anyone can love someone who loves them in return, but the height of love is to love those who will not love you in return and actually, in a way, would like to destroy you in return for your love. And we know that this 
is not foreign to us as Christians because that's what happened when our Savior became a man. So this teaching should pierce and rend our hearts. You might say, I don't love my enemies. I don't even know how to begin. Then long for it. Long for such a love. If you don't experience, then long for that experience. As some of the hymns and psalms say, long with longing. This should bring us to tears and it should embolden us to forgive. This should embolden us to shatter false perceptions of love. Love is not an agreement among people that is mutually beneficial. Love is not learning how to feel good about oneself. It's not any human conception, but love is desiring the best. Love is desiring the salvation of those who would prefer to see you and me harmed or even destroyed. It's to see the deep wound of the human person behind every act of desperation while we are receiving God's love, while we're realizing that God's love could even penetrate this thick stone of my own heart and my pain and even my unbelief. We also embrace the wondrous prospect that God's love could penetrate the heart and reclaim the soul of any person, even the most depraved, even my enemies. And in the simplest terms, an enemy is anyone you could perceive as being against you. Anyone you could perceive as being against you in some way. Another simple way is anyone who provokes you. Willingly or unwillingly. So as you proceed through the week, search your heart this time and consider who you consider to be your enemies. You may not say, oh, I have, he's my enemy and she's my enemy. But you might say like, I don't like that person. Uh Uh-oh. You don't want to be in heaven with that person. That's a problem. You don't desire the salvation of that person. You would rather them get what's coming to them, what you think they deserve, not what God wants for them. So beware of this tendency. Anyone you consider to be against you, be aware of how you're tempted to treat them, how you're tempted to treat them and think of them and to speak of them to others. If you have animosity toward anyone or think that any person has animosity towards you, this is your calling to write that name down and pray for that person. Anger, animosity, frustration toward anyone or anyone towards you. Pray for them. This is your calling. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on so and so. Even just once a day. And if your heart is yet hard, make the sign of the cross and do a prostration when you're praying for this person and admit that you're being freed from repaying hatred with hatred. You're freed from meeting disdain with disdain. You're being relieved of repaying gossip with gossip and drama with drama. It's time to be free, beloved in Christ. And it's time to experience true Christian liberty and the height of theology. It's time for us to learn what love really is.
I'll end with some words of the Holy Apostle Paul from Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Repay no one evil for evil. No one. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give, give place to wrath. Set it aside, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't take from God what is His. Vengeance is mine, He says. Lord, I'll let it be yours then. And therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Through the prayers of our Holy Father, Siloam, may the Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen.